You are listening to the Senior Pastor Podcast, where four giants of the Restoration Movement walk us through the issues facing the church today. Your four hosts are Bob Russell, Don Wilson, Ken Eidelman, and Scott Rawlings. Before we begin, a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Brooke Bratzman, CEO and founder of Go Ministries. Go Ministries empowers local leaders to make disciples. After 30 years of leading this ministry, the next generation is taking it to a whole nother level. And I have had the privilege of starting a new area called Go Legacy, where we focus on pastoral care, resourcing new initiatives, and teaching and modeling kingdom generosity. If you'd like to learn more, please go to gomen.org. We all leave a legacy. What will your legacy look like? Welcome to the Senior Pastor Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rawlings, the teaching pastor at Christ Community Church. And you will be joined, as always, by Bob Russell, the founding pastor of Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Dr. Don Wilson, founding pastor of CCV in Phoenix, uh, Arizona. Ken Eidelman, the former president of Ozark Christian College and the lead pastor of Crossroads Christian Church. And Scott Rawlings, the founding pastor of Christ Community Church. Well, guys, let's pick up where we left off, and Ken had a great suggestion. When you're sitting down with a hire, and we've covered that, you know, Don has said it's a good idea to interview the couple, and, and Bob has, you know, said that you need to go beyond the references, and you need to look for humility, but what questions should we ask? So, Ken, what suggestions do you have for an elder board or a lead pastor? They're sitting down with somebody what questions should they ask? Well, several co- several come to mind, and uh, one of them is um, to find out how easily they they're offended. What what makes them mm. angry? And uh, so, in just this say, day and age, that's a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, there was a, there's a book written by Brant Hansen um, called, um, and, and he's a restoration movement guy, but he's also a um, uh, a uh, uh, D- DJ for on Way FM, which is a national Christian radio network, and um, he's written this book and called Unoffendable, and he goes through the Gospels and unpacks the fact that that Jesus was not ever personally offended, and uh, in the process of doing that study, read that book, I I thought, boy, that is a great book to shape the culture of my team. Uh, when I was at Crossroads. And so we, we had all our elders read it. We had all of our uh, staff read it and subscribe to being unoffendable. And it, it, was, uh, it was just a dynamic influence on the, the shaping the culture of our team of um, uh, 80 or so employees. What makes you angry? When was the last time you were angry, and what makes you angry? Yeah, that's that's very good. Uh, Bob, what about you? What questions do you think are appropriate? Well, uh, a number, but one of the ones that comes to mind first is I, I think we need to talk about doctrine. Uh, at first, we, we think we can, we can uh, yield a little bit on doctrine, but the longer we're working with somebody, doctrine really becomes important. So I want them to be on the same page in their belief about the Bible, in their commitment to the restoration movement, 
and in their understanding of the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so I think we need to ask some questions. Just tell us what you believe about the Bible. Uh, how much do you know about the restoration movement? Where do you think we are? I think we even need to ask some questions about the cultural wars, because that can be so divisive in the church today. Mm. And we can hire somebody who believes in the Bible, but they don't translate it, in my opinion, to a, a, a right position about cultural issues. We had a church in Louisville about a year ago that dismissed three staff people because the staff wives uh, took a very liberal position on political issues, and on Facebook they got became critical of the preacher for not taking a strong stand in favor of Black Lives Matter, and uh, it really became a divisive issue in the church. So I need, I think we need to ask some some questions about what they believe about uh, the the cultural mm. wars and where they are in those issues. Mm. Don, what about you? Well, I, this is probably, this is definitely not as important as Bob's question, Bob's answer, but I, I would ask them, what energizes you? What drains you? Uh, I think you probably need to know, are they, are they relational? Do they want a, a lot of your time or are they the kind of people that don't need a lot of feedback and, and strokes from you? So, uh, uh that makes a difference, especially, uh, in, in, uh, uh, a small staff. Uh, Matt, let me, let me, I want to throw a little bit of a curve in here, can I? Absolutely. Uh, I think that the real, if I look at smaller churches, I think where we get in trouble is who hires the, the pastor or elders? Because uh, uh, the elders might want you to hire somebody and you don't want them but you're the one that have to monitor them all the time. And then if you say they're not working out and they, the elders still like them, that, that's a, a problem. I don't see that in the larger church that much, but in the smaller church, I think that person needs to know who do I ultimately answer to? Is it the elders or is it the pastor? Uh, that to me would be a question you'd need to think through, or is it a combination of both? Who has the final say so? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a good point. And, yeah, I've 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 have had my, you know, share of locking horns with elders over, you know, different things and dad, I know you did, especially earlier in your ministry. Um talk a little bit about that if you can, dad, about, you know, dealing with elders and and who gets to hire how, and what would you recommend to a young pastor that how that conversation goes? The best <clears throat> eldership that I ever worked with was a church in Illinois, Prairie Green Church of Christ. Had five elders, and um, uh, some of them were kin to each other. And it's you know it's a rural church. Paul Benjamin had been there before me. Don Sharp had been there a little while before me, and um, and those guys wanted the preacher to be the leader, but they wanted the uh, to to be very open and share with them uh, on a routine basis. We really became lifelong friends, as well as having a working relationship. They saw the preacher as the as the leader, and I think I inherited that primarily from Paul Benjamin, but in Lois. But uh, uh, there, there there are a lot of things that. Uh, that are on my mind that probably don't fit in too good for what's going on here today. But uh, 
in the discussion you have, but in a, in a smaller church, so that was probably 150 people on a regular basis out in the in a rural area there. And but uh, I think becoming a team with your elders is really really important. And uh, and and getting to to know them, and and creating an atmosphere of love and respect. It just the problems just I just didn't have any problems. I, I mean, uh, it, it seemed like uh, that whatever I wanted to do, they wanted me to do. And because um, I that's that's where I ran into birds like Ken here because I was preaching probably too much. Anyway, because I, I preach, I think, uh, six weeks in a row, and I never missed a day in different churches around the revival meetings and blah, blah, blah. Preaching at church camps was a regular thing, and and um, uh, that's what they wanted me to do. And if I had a, a problem, I'd come back and ask them, and they'd come up with a way to help me get through it. And because I was real young, and they were all older than than I, and um, they kind of fathered me along. But I'm telling you, if you have a real family type relationship with the eldership, you are one blessed bird. That's I'm the absolute you. truth. Yeah, and this is yeah. Speaking of teams, Bob, talk to that. I mean, about being a team. You know, with you your may elders. not be an intimate friend with your elders, but I think it's important that you be a good friend with your elders, and then you work as a team. And our elders uh, got involved in some hiring and sometimes make recommendations, but they would always say, now, Bob, you have veto power here. And I can remember one situation mm. where I, I wish I would have vetoed somebody, but I hated to get, go against the elders and I went along with it. And later <laughs> I, I realized uh, that I, I lacked the courage to speak up when I should. We had an elder who would always ask in an interview an unusual question. He would ask, what question have we not asked that we should have asked of you? And Interesting. That doesn't always mean they're going to tell you the truth. But Tom Ellsworth talked about a staff member who had an affair, and they were really disappointed, and they went to talk to his wife and tell her why the, that they were going to dismiss her husband. And she was very disappointed, but she said, well, it really doesn't surprise me. You know, he did the same thing in the previous church. Oh, and you know, I was I was talking to one of Bob's elders at one of those meetings they had down there, and I asked him. I said, "Does Russell is does he a voting member of the eldership?" And and he said, "Yes, but his vote counts more than mine does." That's the way <laughs> he described it. <laughs> that question. Yeah, I, uh, I, I Don, to, I, what about you? Yeah, because yeah, I know I know Don. I I've, I've met some of your elders who long like Mac and so forth, who were who was a long term serving elder. So I know you had, you know, you worked as a team, but give some insight there. What, what, what would you recommend young pastors and so forth with their elders? Well, <laughs> yeah, I had my eldership and my team, we were great, but the church before that was not great at all because mm. the elders were in charge and they basically, uh, would t and most of the churches that I grew up in that turn churches over, preachers over every two or three years, those are the guys, if they're listening to us, they, they don't have the same trust and relationship that Bob built over the years, that I built over the years, and, and Scott built over the years. And I think they're the ones that are struggling because the, the preacher 
the elders would say to the preacher, I want you to know I was here before you came and I'll probably be here after you leave. And so they see themselves as the leaders in these small churches of 100 or 200. So I think you have to determine what are the roles and responsibilities of the eldership and how do you work together as as a team. Um, we might have some disagreements. I think where churches get into trouble is when elders want to work with certain staff and oversee different ministries in the church. That to me well, usually does not work out because they see them once a week or every other week, but you work with them on a daily basis. And if you say they're not doing good and the elder has a relationship and says they are doing good, that's just to me where some of the struggles come. So I agree 100% the pastor and elders working together a team is huge, but I believe you have to determine the roles and responsibilities or you will run into trouble. Don't, don't you think that trust All right, so we're going to take a minute. Takes time, Don, uh, a, a guy going into a Absolutely. small church, he, the, the elders are in charge, and he better have a spirit of humility and a commitment to longevity or else he's going to be in trouble. Absolutely. And just because they hired you does not mean you're all of a sudden the leader and, and the and you can make all the decisions. You're right. It takes time to build trust. And the way uh, the first church I had was a, a real church. And I went out and milked cows with the elder. I, I drove I rode the, the, the truck hauling hogs to Kansas City with another elder. And I shared my dreams. And then when we came to the elders meeting, I found out, I asked him what he thought. Well, he shared his dreams were really similar to what I told him as we were riding in the car for 200 miles. So I, I think spending time together, building trust, earning that trust, especially if you're younger, just because you're younger does not mean they're going to trust you. And just because you have a Bible college degree does not right. mean they're going to trust you. So you have to do some life together and earn the trust. When I was interviewed by the Crossroads elders, I asked him about a job description job expectations, leadership expectations. And they said two things, preach the word and lead the leaders, lead us and preach the word. And, um, and of course, my experience with my trustees at Ozark through the years, they were my best friends. I cultivated personal friendships with all of the trustees, all of the elders, and, and we, we cared for each other and we knew each other. And we, uh, we share deeply with with each other, and uh, when you have that kind of chemistry, uh, you can move forward by consensus. I don't think we ever. Well, I know we never had a less than a 98 percent vote in the congregation about about anything because the the unity of that of uh, the leadership, whether it's the Bible College or the local church, there's a trickle down effect to that that really develops health and unity in the community. But Ken, when you went to Crossroads, you already had a track record and they respected who you were. So Ooh, when they talk yeah. about lead the leaders, you could do that. But a young guy going into a small church, those elders are not saying you lead us. They've got an attitude of right. we're in charge here. And the only way, in my opinion, that they're going to eventually lead them is over a period of time, they've got to show respect for those elders. They've got to have a spirit of humility and submission. And in the course of time, they gain credibility. If you would have parachuted into an elders meeting at Southeast my first 10 years, I, I think you would have been shocked at how little I talked. Uh, I, uh, you know, sometimes leadership 
is like money in the bank. Uh, the less you exert it, the more you have, or at least influence is. And when I spoke, I, I, I wanted it to matter. And so I, I would ask, you know, how important is this? And if it's not important, I'm not going to speak up. And how, if this is important, which way is it going? If it's going my way, I'm not going to speak up. And, and, and I would speak up when I really wanted to have influence, but wasn't very often. And in the course of time, as they respected my work ethic and they saw the church was responding to me, I gained more and more credibility. But that takes time. Well, and, and Bob, to piggyback off that, we got to go to a sponsor out here in a second, but this is something I'm not quite old enough to remember this. I was born in 1972, but my dad has told me this. He's a lifelong basketball player and basketball fan. One of the things that made John Wooden the Wizard of Westwood was he rarely spoke, but when he did, the refs mm-hmm. listened. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't like the basketball coaches today, you know, yell and scream and all kind of stuff. But every once in a while, he'd take that thing he had in his hand, he'd slap it in his and, palm and, and, and look at the ref up, and yeah. say something, and then it, and they, they listened. Yep. If that, he right? stood up, the referee automatically said, I messed up, didn't I? <laughs> I love what uh, Wooden said when he was interviewed by Guidepost Magazine one time. The interviewer said, uh, I've seen you in those high-stress situations in the, the UCLA games, and you just keep your composure. You remain in, in your seat, and you uh, – you you just seem like you have got control. How do you how do you maintain control in those high stress situations when the calls are going against you when the team's not performing well? And Wooden said, "In my pocket, I keep a tiny silver cross. And when I feel yeah. myself losing control, I reach in my pocket and I take hold of that little cross and I squeeze it very tightly. And it reminds me that there are things more important." Than winning basketball games. Yeah, I had. I went to seminary, Ken, with a guy who interned at the Hollywood Church of Christ, and he said he got up the first weekend he was there to do announcements, and he looked out, and there was John Wooden, and John Wooden was a faithful member of the Hollywood Church of Christ his his entire life. He was a Restoration Movement guy. So, let me go to our ad real quick to hear a word from our sponsors. Uh, thanks to Go Ministries. Make sure you check them out to help form your legacy. Hi, I'm Brooke Brutzman, CEO and founder of Go Ministries. Go Ministries empowers local leaders to make disciples. After 30 years of leading this ministry, I have turned it over to the next generation and couldn't be more pleased with how they're leading and all they're doing. That allows me to focus on a new area called Go Legacy, where we focus on pastoral care, resourcing new initiatives, and kingdom generosity. Folks, let's face it, if you're connected at all with the church, whether a regular attender, an elder, and certainly if you're on staff, you see the pressures that our leaders are under. It is an incredible burden that they bear and often bear alone. Go Ministries has been privileged to walk alongside hundreds of local leaders right here serving in our own churches. And we want to do more through counseling, encouragement, and equipping those pastors. But that doesn't happen without new initiatives and new resources. And that brings us to kingdom generosity. Folks, God owns it all. And we need to live into that each and every day. Please go to gomen.org and ask yourself, what will your legacy look like? When we hired Kyle Eidelman, uh, or uh, he, everybody, Ken's son, everybody was going crazy over him because he, he preached with no notes and he was 26 years old and 
people would stop me in the hallway and say, how old are you? You still use notes when you preach? This young guy comes in here doesn't use any notes. I got tired of hearing it. And uh, <laughs> so Tom, who was assistant to John Wooden, uh, said, hey, Bob, on Saturday I'm going up to the Wooden Classic in Indianapolis. I know you've always wanted to meet the coach. Why don't you go with me? Well, I wasn't preaching that weekend. Kyle was. And so I went to Kyle's office and I said, look, I'm not going to be here Saturday night when you preach. I'm going to go to Indianapolis and I'm going to get to meet Coach John Wooden. He said, that's great. He said, tell Coach Wooden. I said, hi. I said, you know Coach Wooden? He said, oh, yeah, when I was associate with Dudley Rutherford in California, Coach Wooden came to our church. Well, I go to Indianapolis, I meet Coach Wooden, we have a good conversation. And then I said, oh, Coach, a guy named Kyle Eidemann said to, to say hello to you. And he said, Kyle Eidemann said, you know, he's the only preacher we ever had. Didn't use notes when he preached. I, I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't get away from it in the necklace. I just everybody's bragging on him. <laughs> Even Coach Wooden. Oh man. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, let's talk about a, a few more things building on this. And one, the, I want to hit two more things before we uh, quit this theme on building teams. And one is volunteers. And you know, Don, you said earlier uh, in the podcast. You know, great volunteers don't necessarily make great hires. But one of the things that I have learned, and I've spoken to people about this, and I get some pushback on it, is that every volunteer we have, and Dad ends to, you know, put this policy in, what, 20-some years ago, every volunteer we have has to have a criminal background check. Um, that, that just has to happen. And I know when I have spoken to pastors and elders about this, they push back on this. But we feel it's important at our church. Don, what do you think about volunteers, recruiting volunteers, screening volunteers? What are your thoughts? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, we, when we were, when I was a smaller church, we never heard of such a thing. But definitely over the last few years, we, everybody had to go through a background check because all it takes is one lawsuit uh, yep. in a children's situation and you shut down the church. Uh, I, I think two things I would say with volunteers. Number one, do you have a culture where serving is a part of your discipleship? Uh, if if just uh, Bible knowledge is a part of discipleship, you'll never have volunteers. So I would say serving, giving, you have to determine what makes a disciple. And I believe service is one of those. The second thing that I think is crucial and much easier to developing volunteers, do you have two services versus one service? So what we try to do, every campus we started, everything, we try to go to two services. We started with two services immediately. That means you worship one service, you serve one service. The, the service that like, the church I grew up in always had one service. So you're asking people that have to serve in the children's area, for example, they never get to hear a sermon. So it's much harder harder to, to recruit volunteers to me in a one service environment. So I would say, is it a part of your discipleship? And um, uh, do you have two services where, where you, you encourage people to worship one and serve one? Mm. Bob, what are your thoughts? Well, Volunteerism it was really an important part of our church early on because people, uh, you know, the best shepherding program is involvement. If people are involved, they're, they're going to show up. They're going to be committed to the church. If they're sitting there doing nothing, it's easy for them to drift away. 
So we tried, rather than hiring, there's real temptation as soon as there is a vacancy or as there, there's a need, uh, especially staff people want to hire somebody to perform that function because it's a little bit easier to oversee an assistant than it is to oversee a series of volunteers. So I think you have to develop a culture of, uh, of volunteers and to, t- to teach staff people, your job is not to perform the function. Your job is to uh, recruit and train and then retain volunteers. And the treatment of these people who sacrifice so much, uh, it becomes very important that we follow up with uh, notes of encouragement and maybe a banquet showing them appreciation. Because when the church is Mm -hmm. heavy on volunteerism, it's a healthy church. And so many times churches get too heavy with uh, people hired and, and they're too heavy with too many staffs when they need to find volunteers. Mm-hmm. Ken, what about you? What do you have to say? Yeah, I, uh, the, one of the multi-sites here at Southeast is in LaGrange. And uh, that, that church is just really fun to visit. And the reason is because they have got that culture of everybody is involved in this is our church. And so we make a contribution to it with uh, our volunteer service. And you walk in there and everybody's got a lanyard around their neck that says, ask me. And uh, and just everywhere you look, there there's evidence of volunteerism, and it's so true that 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 heart ownership of the mission that's demonstrated with volunteers that that uh, are plugged in, and you know, I I think retaining them, we we talk a lot about recruiting volunteers. If we work hard at retaining volunteers and affirming them, and uh, and uh, celebrating them, you won't have as much trouble recruiting people. Uh, You know, I think one of the things that we found out and we had to in hiring younger staff, they would say, I work 40 hours a week. And we had volunteers that in their career were working 50 hours a week and then giving three to five hours a week in volunteering at the church. And what we had to sit down and have a talk and say, the volunteers aren't going to respect you if you complain about your job and working 40 hours a week when they're working 50 hours in their career and volunteering. So you're going to have to reevaluate what is your commitment to ministry and flexibility if you're going to recruit those high-capacity volunteers? Yeah, and Dad, you've, you know, Christ Community Church has run on volunteers for as long as I can remember, what are your thoughts on recruiting, retaining? What What do you think? For some reason or other, we've never had much of a problem getting volunteers. And I think, I think it ha- has a lot to do if the leadership is very clear about the need and you, and you spell out the need, <clears throat> you have to be careful who you, you know, we still uh, are very careful about any volunteer we want to make sure that they, before they, we promise them to do anything, they ha- we have to get the results of that test back, especially if they work with children in any way, shape, or form. And um, that's never been a real problem. I, I think the key to getting volunteers is, is to uh, make it very clear the value of what they're doing. Everybody wants to be of value. And then if you're in a position to encourage them, you know, the, the, 
one of the most impressive people that I ever met is a Uganda fellow over in Uganda. He's 70 years old now, but he's the best encourager I ever saw. And I think if if you if you if people who are doing the work spend a little time with them, encourage them, pat them on the back, whop them on the fanny if they're a man, and 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 you know it just makes a difference. And and uh, they want to know that the leadership appreciates what they're doing. Well, and we had before COVID, we had every year, uh, going back to your point, Bob, a volunteer appreciation dinner where we would feed them dinner, we'd give them a gift, we'd tell them how much we appreciate, we pray over them. And it sounds like what you're saying, Bob, is that's important. I, I think it's important right up front when people become members of the church to tell them what's expected of them. We used to have uh, an understanding. Hey, if you become a member of the church, we, ex- we expect three hours of your time, one hour in worship, one hour in Bible study, and one hour in service. And everybody ought to serve. Mm. Then we would have two, sometimes three weekends in the summer where we would emphasize service and have uh, listed in the bulletin the various areas where we needed help. And we'd talk about people's giftedness. And then we'd ask them to sign up like a stewardship campaign uh, to sign up to volunteer. And then uh, my wife was in charge of the bookstore and the tape ministry. She might get 25 people who said they might be interested in volunteering in the bookstore. She would call them, meet nothing worse than signing up. Nobody contacts you. There's got to be follow through. And she would then call a meeting of those 25 people and maybe 15 would show up. And then she would describe mm-hmm. what was needed, and maybe out of that, uh, eight or ten would would volunteer. And it's a numbers game, but she had uh, eight or ten more volunteers than she would have had had we not gone through that program. And it's just a, a culture of uh, that's developed over a period of time. Say, hey, this is a church run by volunteers. This is a people's church. This is not a staff church. One of yeah, the things I, I want to say just real. Go ahead, Ken. I'm sorry. I was just going to say one of the things that's really vitalized the men's ministry here at Southeast that I referred to earlier is uh, the multiplication of table leaders. And the method that's has, that has been used is what we call the shoulder tap method. Uh, yes, you know, getting people to sign up, having meetings with them as a group, that's, that's important. One of the things I think that supplements that and complements that is, is the shoulder tap. You know, one, one person takes another person out to coffee or lunch and and talks to them about the need and the and the challenge and the opportunity and the rewards and uh, and that that one-on-one Im- has real impact takes more time yeah i've heard ken tom rainier when he was head of the billy graham center said that his study showed that the best volunteers were the ones who were directly asked you know, not the ones who were, you know, had just filled out a form that was put in the bulletin or something. People in every department think if they could just have the preacher ask, if the preacher would make a stronger appeal from the pulpit, we'll, we'll get more volunteers. But the best recruiters, the shoulder taps, are the people who are already volunteering. And if you're asked by a paid staff mm-hmm. person, it's easier to say no than if you're asked by somebody who's already given six, eight hours of time and they ask you to volunteer like, uh, like they're doing. And so we found the best recruiters were the one-on-one, uh, the uh, volunteers, people already active in, in volunteer work. Yep. I, I grew up with my, my, with my dad preaching constantly that the best evangelists 
were the people in the pews who were willing to sit down over a cup of coffee with an unchurched friend rather than the pastor. And, uh, and I think that flows with that, Bob. I think you're right. It's, it's, you know, the people just reaching out to others. So we're going to wrap this topic up. This has been the Senior Pastor Podcast with Bob Russell, the founding pastor of Southeast Christian Church, Dr. Don Wilson, the founding pastor of CCV in the Phoenix area, Ken Eidelman, the former president of Ozark Christian College and lead pastor of Crossroads Christian Church, and Scott Rawlings, the founding pastor of Christ Community Church. Stay tuned for another podcast with more wisdom. This has been the Senior Pastor Podcast, a production of 1801 Media Incorporated. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode.